Welcome back, faithful listeners. We hope you brought your Trapper Keepers and your Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencils, because school is back in session, and you're going to learn today. How have things been with you, Joe? Uh, they've been going pretty well. I feel like it's been a while since the last time we've uh, done one of these, and, uh, you know, a lot has happened to me in my life. You know, nothing, like, crazy, but, like... Uh, <laughs> I went to Spain, which we talked about, which is like awesome. And just like a two minute recap of, of that. It's like breaking news. Spain is awesome. Everybody yeah. go there. Right. And like, I certainly have had the privilege of going to a lot of places uh, in my life. And uh, this one totally lived up to the high expectations. So it was pretty awesome. Uh, and then because I don't, I'm not already busy enough, we decided to get another dog. So we have a little puppy running around. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's kind of fun, but certainly in the mischievous puppy phase. Um, and then back to school. Kids start school and, um, you know, we're just getting into the fall sort of swing of things. How about you? What have you been up to? Some music, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I've been working on my own music uh, quite a bit, um, which has been a very, very fulfilling experience and also a character building experience, mm. a humbling experience as I kind of like learn as I go about the recording process with what uh, meager technology I have at my disposal. Um, but I bought a new guitar. Oh, cool. Uh, a used guitar off of somebody on the internet, um, which is fun. Um, did a little summer vacation myself to the Rhode Island beaches. And I, uh, if you've been following the Instagram, you you saw that I I got to see one of my uh, favorite bands from the past few years, Sleep Token, um, which which was awesome, and you know, pretty much worth the money that I that I <laughs> spent on the on the uh, on the tickets, which were extortionately expensive. Hey man, Some, it's just the sometimes market. you just got to do it, you know. Hey, it's market rates. You are the market. You are willing to pay. It's appropriately priced, my friend. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Uh, I mean, the face value of those tickets was like thirty-two bucks, yeah. and I spent yeah. a lot more than thirty-two bucks. Yeah, I bet. But anyway, <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, but I'm glad that that lives up to your expectations. So we've been busy, you know filling our souls with other good things besides this wonderful podcast. Um, and we certainly will get into one of our regular scheduled episodes, but I couldn't let uh, this one go by. We're recording in uh, mid-September and um, came across my Instagram that uh, this is the 30th anniversary of the Counting Crows album, August and Everything After is released in September of 1993 and that album was certainly um very influential on my own taste in, in music and i i think i can say the same for you dan because uh, mm -hmm. we we listen to that bad boy a lot and i bet you i probably still know many of the lyrics by heart um so i thought it would just be fun just for us to talk about it for two two minutes because we're not we we do have other business at hand but um first of all wow 30 years, man, and it's still awesome. It is. I, I think it's pretty timeless. I think 
first of all, the the poetry of the songwriting and everything it is just first class. First class, yet very accessible. And the way that they chose to record that album seems, I don't know, it seems timeless to me. It might not sound that way to those with younger ears. Mm. But I think it really could have been recorded in just about any era. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't have any sort of, at least in my ear, it doesn't have any distinguishing characteristics that's really going to like call it out as being a part of a certain era. Like it, mm-hmm. it kind of avoids any kind of production trends right, of the right. time. Like it's just, you know, guitars and and drums and bass and piano and and things like that you know real like stable mm-hmm. instruments um and i've always admired the songwriting and when you add in kind of the emotional content of all of that there was a very appealing package to me especially in my teenage years yeah yeah um and i think you know we're going to talk about some pretty virtuosic performers tonight in our in our episode but i just think um just from top to bottom for me it's it's definitely in my probably top five albums ever and like there's not like a dull moment on the whole thing it's pretty close to perfect in my opinion and um you know I think I even still have some of those songs like in regular playlists I listen to. I just I can't get away from it. And I don't think I've, you know, in the 30 years since that thing has been released, I don't think I've gone more than like two or three months without listening to one of those songs. Yeah, I kind of go in, I don't know, I, I kind of go in sort of like this ebb and flow with Counting Crows where I won't listen to them for a really long time and then... I'll start listening to them and then can't stop listening to them for a couple of months. <laughs> and then, the, and then it gets, and then it gets put away for a while again. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's something that I always return to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure many of our listeners know this album probably just about as well as we do, but uh, if for some reason you haven't listened to it in a while, you know, just make an excuse to go find it on one of these music streaming services. And uh revisit a classic because it certainly is one um so with that sort of out of the way let's get to the topic at hand so this was my choice and um this this is really harkening back to sort of the what was the overall like mission of this podcast which is what are certain things that we may have missed along the way and that you know at least for me i know a little bit about this but i'm not super familiar with it and I certainly have never lived listened to some some of this all, all the way through so we're going to be talking about the 1966 album by cream called fresh cream and um you know of course I know who Eric Clapton is you know he's really more for his solo work than really anything he did with cream though I do remember uh you know knowing about their this this group and 
you know, they weren't active terribly long. Uh, you know, I'll get into some of the specifics of that, but they just kind of, kind of got sick of each other and they just cranked out four albums in about two years. And then that was that. Um, and so, uh, you know, this British rock band was formed in London in 1966, and this is their first album together. Um, and it was bassist Jack Bruce, guitarist Eric Clapton, and drummer Ginger Baker. And um, they had kind of all been playing in the blues scene, um, and then they came together and formed Cream. And, 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 the, and naming things is hard, and this is kind of a weird name, but they thought of themselves as the cream of the crop. So... Originally, it was the cream and then just cream. Um, and they really uh, thought of themselves as the you know pinnacle of blues musicians in that time and place. Um, and so we get this this kind of awesome rock blues album. It's forty minutes as it was the standard uh, for that time. And uh, they do some blues covers in it. They have some original songs on it. Um, and you know, it's a pretty cool. Um, debut album for these three you know incredibly talented musicians so um with that um dan had you really listened to cream closely i know you probably know a little bit more about them than i do because i know you were you know heavy into you know late 60s early 70s rocks for different periods of your life but what was your previous uh interaction with cream basically i just knew a handful of songs mm-hmm and that was pretty much it. The one I listened to the most and I was really into in high school for a while is that song White Room, um, mm. which is not on this album. Mm -hmm. um, but I just loved the guitar sound in that song, the way that Clapton used the the, the wah pedal mm -hmm. in, in the guitar parts. And... Um, In some ways, it's a very conventional rock song, and then in other ways, it's a little weird. <laughs> like there's mm -hmm. sort of like those, like those ominous chords and the and the 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 drumming. It almost sounds like a timpani or something mm -hmm. in, in that song that that kind of like sets the stage of the whole thing. Um, but I always really love that song, and so when you suggested that we listen to this. I was like, oh, yeah, cream, like sunshine of your love and and, uh, you know, in the white room and 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 all that stuff. So, um, you know, you just kind of accept that people say, oh, cream mm -hmm. is a very influential band. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then when you listen to it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess they're pretty freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and this is a, a theme we've talked about before, but it's just like, you know, listening to this at the beginning of their collaboration together and then thinking about, again, a lot of the rock music that came in the, after them in the late 60s, early 70s, you're, you're, you're like, oh, you totally were influenced by that, like 1,000%. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, just a credit to them creating this uh, this new sound that was uh, emulated by a lot of the groups of that era. Um, so, Dan, tell me, what were some of the tracks on this album that that really stuck out for you uh, on 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 your first listen? Because I have a couple that that I really like. Yeah, I have a list of of a handful of them. Naturally, the opener, "I Feel Free." Mm -hmm. 
it's it's a great opener. Um, and there's so much going on in a song that comes in at under three minutes. Yeah. Um, the opening is fantastic. It's just like kind of this blaring, just distorted guitar chord mm-hmm. for like one second. And then it goes into that acapella section and the hand claps. Yeah. Uh, which is just really well done. Um, again, the guitar tone in the song and how the leads kind of flow in and out of the mm-hmm. song th- through the duration um, is great. And there's a great contrast between sort of like the elegance of that guitar and then the way that Jack Bruce sings the the verses uh, with more of like an edge to his voice and that banging that single piano note in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. is adds is really adding some tension there and it's just a lot of contrasting elements that work well in that song um what what about you well i i totally agree about that one i i think that was uh that was one where when it started i was like oh of course i've heard this song before i didn't realize <laughs> right. it was on this album but you know, Do you know really... how many freaking commercials that song must be in? <laughs> well, I'm sure Eric Clapton knows because he's he's sitting pretty with with all the cash from all those commercials. But, well, um, you you never know. You never well, know who owns the. I publisher. guess you're right. I guess you're right. Yeah, you never know who's. Uh, it doesn't always trickle down, right? There's no trickle mm-hmm. down <laughs> economics for the artists as we're seeing uh, with the writer strike. But I digress. Um, so I I like that and. I got to say, you know, the blues covers, which I wasn't super familiar with, um, but I thought were really, um, really well done, mm-hmm. you know, with rolling and tumbling. And I'm so, so glad. And, you know, and Spoonful as well. Like they put their own spin on it, certainly. And it's not like a traditional blues uh, um presentation of the piece but I, I i thought those were fun um but really um my favorite one sleepy time time i i, I really like that one and i think that that is the sound of cream and it's really um something that is not like super complicated but i just love the way that they incorporate all those different elements really in the similar way that when you were describing i feel free like it's so intricate and there's you know there's the piano there's you know all the guitar playing and even you know the drum part is not uncomplicated and 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 obviously not as fun as toad at the end where he just gets the solo for so long <laughs> but still like really interesting um and i think you know when you think about early 60s music and then you know by the mid 60s we're already here we're just like wow you guys are throwing out the whole rule book and just kind of doing whatever you want which is really fun yeah i and i agree with those you know with those blues covers um and how they put their own stamp on it now first of all i think we'd be remiss without you know giving credit to those black artists like you know willie dixon who wrote spoonful Mm -hmm. and i'm not a hundred percent sure on this but having listened to 
interviews by you know other artists from that era like the musicians of themselves i think were very uh you know reverential mm-hmm. of those of those artists um but at the same time you know they are achieving musical success by you know emulating these black artists who you know were not perhaps getting that same mainstream success so sure, i just want to sure. i just want to say that yeah, yeah out front for sure um, absolutely but uh but spoonful i i i thought they didn't they did a really good job of making it their own and i and i did listen to the original and i like them both like dixon's version willie dixon's version has this cool strut to it like i think it's a swung sort of sort of rhythm yeah, yeah, and then the, but then the cream version. It 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 doesn't have that same sort of like coolness. Mm-hmm. It's it like the, the the rhythm is banged out in a more like straight sort of way, and whereas Willie Dixon's vocals are kind of like slide, you know, kind of like sliding around and being mm-hmm. very like cool. Uh, uh, Bruce's vocals are are just like full of tension and like almost a a desperation um, for the things that they're talking about, you know, longing for in the song. Yeah, no, I I think you're exactly right. And like going back and listening to the original is really an interesting exercise because I did the same thing, and you know. I think one of the reasons why we haven't really tackled like a lot of blues or jazz is because we're not as knowledgeable about it and that's something we can work on. Um, but, you know, I, I, I approach that type of music in one of, in one of two ways. Either you're listening to it and that's the only thing you're doing or you're doing 10 million other things and it's just kind of on, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, I definitely am... I can't really get in the middle. It's like one or the other. And um, so to like, again, use this opportunity by exploring this album to uh, just sit down and, and, and listen to Spoonful was really, um, that, that was like a fun little activity to do. Um, are there other ones that stuck out for you in a good or a bad way? Because I, I do want to take some time to talk about these individual musicians because they were like top top class like and you know what great recognizes great and that's why they I guess got together but you know my theory is like you can't have like three alphas and expect it to work out (laughs) yeah for sure um (laughs) there is one other song that I wanted to mention quickly Mm -hmm. before we move on to that since you asked go ahead um now what did you think of the song dreaming because I thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, you you can tell it's from the '60s, and there was lots of, you know, different types of pharmaceutical things happening in the '60s. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, um, so that in that sense, like I'm like, oh yeah, this is like totally capturing the time, and and like you know, people have used the the word like psychedelic to describe some of that music and. I guess that's appropriate. I, you know, I, I I don't use that word very much, so I don't like have like a um, like a 
like reference point for it, but it seems kind of appropriate, and that's kind of the feeling that you get with with a lot of this this music. Um, what stuck out for you in that song? Well, I, I I think you're right, but the funny thing about that song is that like at its core, it's a very like late fifties, early sixties, uh, like ballad. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, like some of the chords are kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> like like they've they've thrown in these like dissonant notes and in, into the chords that make it seem a little bit strange and a little bit off and not so much like you know it's not uh, buddy holly or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the vocal harmonies too and i thought it was really smart of them to take a well-known template like that and mess with it yeah yeah i i didn't get the i i didn't make the connections to the to the doo-wop stuff but i can certainly i can certainly see that um again like what's the point of doing it if you're just going to copy something that happened already right and that's the same right. deal with the covers like if you're going to do it then do it in in a new and interesting way or or a way that's you know really true to who uh the the type of sound that you are trying to make as a group right mm-hmm. and and that's that's the thing like all these guys were in other groups and they decided to leave those and come together to do their own thing. Um, which, I mean, it's hard to even say cause there's like, there's very few groups nowadays in in music, you know, and people collaborate a lot more openly and it's just easier now. Um, so I, I think like, I don't know, again, you know, 60 years ago when, you know, maybe you had a good thing growing, but you just weren't happy in the situation you were. And then they decided to say, you know, fuck it. <laughs> we're gonna just start our own thing and we're good enough to do it on our own. And we don't need to be part of these groups um, because they are all like incredible musicians. And, you know, I, I don't really think we need to talk too much about Eric Clapton as a guitar player. Like he's fucking good. I don't know what else. <laughs> he's fucking great. Like one of the greatest of all time. Like, Yeah, I mean. Here's the thing about Clapton, in like a nutshell, to me, is that in spite of his, you know, tremendous amount of skill and, you know, just how highly capable he is, he's still always serving the song. Right. Like, the the tone of his electric guitar is always exactly what that particular song needs. Mm-hmm. The phrasing always leaves space for whatever else is happening. So he's got these great instincts and he's not just like shredding just to shred, you know? Right, 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 right. And I, I 100% agree with you, but one the thing that I would say about his guitar playing is like, and this is, I think, two different ways of, of thinking about the same uh, same thing, is that to me, his guitar playing is very has like a very much like a vocal quality to it Mm. because he can kind of like weave it in and out in a way that's so controlled that i don't think a lot of guitar players have like the technical aptitude to do it that way and he makes it sound like it's not a string instrument you Mm -hmm. know 
Uh, it's yeah. just like a sound that is incorporated. And like he does it obviously a lot in his solo work as well. But like right. in, in, for in this particular application, it's really like, yeah, I'm going to give the song what it needs right now. And I can do that just because I have such um, control over the sounds in this instrument. Right. You know. Yeah. And he's 21 years old. <laughs> yeah. And he made this yeah. thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jack Bruce, he's kind of a character, isn't he? And w w one thing that I love that he brought, you know, I think his voice really suits a lot of this music pretty well. Yeah. Um, but what I really loved was his harmonica playing. Like, mm. I think that's that's so cool. And it like just added a completely different color and texture to the songs where he's whipping that thing out. Um, and is there anything else you want to say about <laughs> his voice? Well, well, yeah, I mean, you're definitely right about the harmonica. It's like every great band needs like a secret weapon. I think that's their their mm. secret weapon. Um, his voice is a lot more versatile than I, I guess I realized. I mean, mm. it's got a nice clean falsetto. He can sing in a very relaxed sort of like lyric tenor way, but he also has that powerful rock voice edge. Mm -hmm. And he and Clapton like harmonize really well together. I, I think he's like a more capable vocalist than uh, than maybe he gets gets credit for. Um, and Clapton too. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the thing, you know, Ginger Baker. It, it's I, I think we talk about this a lot when we talk about percussion is. Obviously, there's like the virtuosic playing, and he gets you know a showpiece at the end, which is cool, because um, I don't think that was common at all at this time and in this style of music. Um, but drummers, if they're bad, you notice them. If they're good, you really don't, unless you're really listening closely. And he just drives everything on this album. Um, and keeps them all and makes everything so cohesive like of course this is going to work together um and without like a really good rhythm section that can kind of fall apart so like when we were talking about some of our favorite tracks and like all the different elements that are being incorporated into it that's great if they sound cool on their own but if you don't have the rhythm to keep it all together it's just going to be like it's going to fall flat yeah yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, Ginger Baker is, you know, doing what you say uh, as far as, you know, keeping things together uh, with the songs and stuff. But in some of the other places where he plays with more more of a flourish, mm -hmm. it kind of wasn't working for me, mm -hmm. um, especially on that closing track. I mean, that's just... If you go and listen to like Buddy Rich, like go, go like on YouTube and look at the Tonight Show uh, when Johnny Carson was hosting, he would have like Buddy Rich just get up there and play on his drum kit. No, no band, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really, really cool. And then like you listen to this three minute long drum solo on this and it like. I mean, what is really happening? I mean, it's just, he's just playing really fast. It just sounds like he's beating his kit to death and like <laughs> not really 
and not really like I don't know. There's no I I feel like there's no levels like you're not hearing like the individual elements of his drum kit like yeah yeah do anything so I was just like come on this is the yeah. longest song <laughs> on the album well and it's kind of a flat flat finish for me and this is probably our segue into things we didn't like as much and yeah I, you know the thing is is that it stuck out to me and I'm just like huh this is one of these things is not like the other because he, yeah, like as you, as we're listening to these, like you get to there and it's like he's still playing the drums and like I mean credit to the guy he's playing, um, you know technically very well, but it's kind of I I don't know what that's adding to the song exactly that much, but um, so that that I think I think you're right that is a little weird and I think that proves my point where it's like, well, we all needed a turn to cook, so let's give Ginger the fucking drum solo at the end of the album. I guess, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, so that one, and I think um, another, some of the other tracks that were, I was like, huh, this is a little um, wrapping paper. I was kind of like, huh, I, I don't really know what we're trying to do here. Cat Squirrel, that was another one. Um, where again, I just, it, it was fine. It wasn't like offensive. It's just like, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I just don't know what, what they're kind of adding to the album. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with those. I agree with those sentiments like, and cat squirrel, that's the short one, right? It's like a short instrumental yeah, yeah, yeah. see see what i mean like you don't even remember it because there's so many other things that are more interesting on this mm-hmm. um and uh you know and i agree with you you know that they're kind of limping to the finish line with toad that final track and it's in this i would have almost preferred it to be in the middle of the album as like a uh, intermission or something like that. Like a palate cleanser and then... Uh, yeah, maybe, because, you know, it starts with I feel free, then how good would it have been for them to finish with I'm glad? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like two bookends with like similar sentiments about, you know, doing what makes you happy mm-hmm. and feeling the, you know, the freedom, the agency to 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 actually do it um and so that would have made like a nice bookend and the fact that like toad follows i'm glad i think makes it even worse yeah <laughs> yeah having those two in that order is weird uh so yeah so uh what what are your uh, what are your final thoughts on this one because i feel like we've t- we've talked a lot about many of the details I mean, overall, there's a lot to enjoy here. And sometimes, sometimes I forget that I like certain things because <laughs> there's just so much. It's like I listen to so much music um, that things get lost. But this reminds me that uh, that I enjoy the blues and, you know, and I enjoy stuff of this nature 
and um, you know stuff by like Led Zeppelin, for example, mm-hmm. and the and the Rolling Stones and like other blues oriented music from this from this era. In addition to, you know, your Willie Dixons of the world, uh, and stuff like that. So listening to this really just reminded me of that genre of music, which I love. Uh, and it's uh, maybe time that I fit some of that in. Because, you know, you get into your habits uh, of music listening and you, like, forget that there's all this other stuff that's cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I do the same thing, right? You get your songs that, you know, evoke a certain something in you and you're like, I need to hear this today because I'm in this type of mood or whatever. And and just like a lot of things, it's, you know, you're good with what you're comfortable with because like, you're like, I know what I'm going to get from this and it's going to do X, Y, or Z. And that's, you know, the predictability of it all is comforting and also just like makes life easier because you're not wrong. Dude, there's so much music. We're never going to listen to it at all. And it's like, can I, if I have 15 minutes to listen to something, can I just listen to stuff I know I'm going to (laughs) like, as opposed to like trying to find something new, which, you know, of course we should find new stuff. Right. And there's so much new stuff and maybe you have a handy little podcast that will point you in the right direction. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, um, but yeah. And, and this sort of thing is like something I certainly haven't listened to this style of music in, in a while. And it was, it was pretty fun to do so. Um, and, and really, especially, I mean, I'm sure in, in England, people have more um, reverence for cream than we do over here um, because they were so important um, to that whole, you know, British rock and what became punk and all that stuff. Um and really, before this, all I knew is Eric Clapton. I knew Layla. I knew Tears in Heaven. And I assumed he was in a band in the past at some point. But <laughs> it's in a lot of bands. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was. So it's like, oh, this is where it kind of all started. And 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 I knew he was young. I didn't realize he was 21 when they made this. But my God, man, that's that's something. Um, so I think this is a fun one for us to take a listen to and, and get to know a little bit better. Um, so there we have it. So Dan, it is your choice for our next uh, episode. So what do we have in store? Here, I'm going to just take a pause for a second because I want to look up the name of the album. Oh, sure. It's this one. Okay, Joe. So next time we are going to be taking a look at Susie and the Banshees. Mm-hmm. The album we're going to be listening to is called Juju. Okay. So we're going to be taking our foray into. Well, we're going to stay in England, first of all. We're going to stay in England. <laughs> But we're going to take a foray into the kind of weird and interesting world of post-punk in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And how that led us to, you know, what we started calling alternative music when the 90s rolled around. Um, so 
I think that will be an interesting one. And I think it's going to be, um, I know we've covered a lot of different genres of, of music on the show, but I think it's going to be uh, a bit different than, than what we have covered so far in these past couple of years. Well, it's certainly new and different for me because when you're asking like, oh yeah, we have some ideas in the bank. How about this one? I said, well, I can't give you an opinion about it because I have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be good it's fun hopefully there'll be um some something positive i can take out of it i'm sure there yeah will. and sure sometimes i'm like sometimes i'll suggest something and i'm like i know this is out of joe's comfort zone and i and i think i'm gonna be able to predict his reaction full disclosure i have done a little bit of a preview okay and uh i really have no idea <laughs> how you're going to feel about this. So that's going to be fun. There you go. There you go. Well, we appreciate you joining us, friends, and uh, for sticking with us after us after we take our, our summer break. Uh, but we'll be back on our regularly scheduled programming. And we hope you'll continue to join us for next time. Thanks again and take care. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin, and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself.